This morning's scripture is from Exodus 33, verses 12 through 16 and 18. Moses said to the Lord, See, you have said to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now if I have found favor in your sight, show me your ways, so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. He said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go, do not carry us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us? In this way, we shall be distinct, I and your people, from every people on the face of the earth. Moses said, show me your glory, I pray. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I was babysitting once years ago when the child I was watching fell and skinned her knee. And as she sat there in pain and crying, she raised up her arms to me and she asked with a sob, why does it hurt? And as I gathered her up, I knew that no answer that I could give her would help stop the pain. All I could do was hug her show her my love and compassion as I worked to bind up her injury. Prayer I am learning is a lot like this. It, it's something that moves us through a process of looking for answers to looking for God. In our scripture today, we come alongside Moses in the middle of a difficult situation. In chapter 32, Moses had just received the covenant and commandments from God when he was alerted to a large problem. You see, the Israelites, fearing Moses' delay, he was taking far too long, had decided to take things into their own hands. They weren't going to wait on God and Moses anymore. They were going to make their own gods. And so they had created the golden calf to worship now Moses rushes back down to find out what's happening, and when he sees the horrible sin that these people have created, he smashes the gifts of God at their feet. And God's judgment takes place that night, and there's the death of many. And it's following this tragedy and betrayal that Moses says, that he will go back once again to the mountain and try to make reconciliation between God and God's people. And so Moses goes to God and he receives the message that he is to continue on his journey to the promised land, but God can no longer go with them. 
And it is here that Moses is perhaps both keenly aware of the wrath of both the people and of God. That no doubt he feels the strain of his stress and stress of his position. And we hear it clearly in his words to God in our text today. To paraphrase our text, you give me this monumental responsibility, but you leave me guessing as how to accomplish it. You say that I have found favor in your sight, but I feel vulnerable. You say that you will go with us, but if you will not be there too, don't send us. Who this morning will find it difficult to relate to Moses' urgent need for God to show up? Which one of us at one time or another has not cried out, God, I need you. I need you to speak. I need you to come. I need you to be present and not hidden or veiled away. I need to know your will, and I need to know it now. I often imagine that prayer is a lot like breathing. Step one, breathe in. Step two, the smallest pause, a tiny moment in between what was and what will be. And step three, breathe out. Repeat often and as necessary as you need to survive. You see, because the heart of prayer is small, and yet it is an infinite space between our breath. Prayer is the space in between, in between the pain of what was and the joy that is to come. It's the space in between the suffering we've experienced and the salvation that is at hand between the fear that we live in and the joy that is promised. In prayer, we cry out to God and we demand a response to our most basic questions. Where are you? Where am I? Who are you? Who am I? And it is possible to read the entire dialogue between Moses and God as a lesson in prayer. In other words, in the process of their discussion, we're taught what to ask for in prayer. In the beginning, Moses asks for answers, for the knowledge of God's ways for the assurance of God's guidance. Later, Moses asks to see God's glory or honor or dazzling presence, however you'd like to translate it. And it's not that the early requests are wrong or inappropriate. It's just that in most cases, the latter request is the one that addresses our greatest need. And once that latter request has been granted, the previous requests seem answered as well. The requests that we make in prayer to God are often band-aids for the real wounds of our hearts. 
Like a small child, we don't know what to ask for because we cannot imagine something so grand. The truth is that our prayers are not too big, but they are too small. We pray to know why when we could pray to experience the very glory, the very presence of God in our life. Many of us who have gone through tough times have come to learn this difference the hard way. That experiencing the glory of God might not look like the answer we asked for, but it turns out it was the answer we needed all along. And perhaps this is why many people have a hard time understanding prayer or seeing God at work in answering prayer. Because we're looking for the answer we want instead of the answer that we need. A person who finds himself facing a scary medical treatment begins by praying for an answer to why they are sick or for proof that they're going to be okay. Instead, what they get is a stranger to hold their hand and tell them that they are not alone. Those original prayers aren't wrong, they're normal. But they don't actually get to the underlying questions that drive us. Am I loved? Am I alone? Where is God in this space with me? As Moses stands on the mountain speaking to God, he is held in a space in between, between the pain of the past and the uncertainty of the future. Will the Israelites make it out safe? Will God renew God's covenant? Can they be saved? Will God stick it out with them till the end? Thomas Merton was a Trappist monk who lived here in the United States. He was born in 1915, and he was a theologian and a poet and an author, but he was also a man who faced deep confusion and question in his own life about what he was called to do and who he was called to be. In one of his most famous prayers, Merton prays, My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I don't see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. <clears throat> Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your desires and will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that that Desire is in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always. Though I may be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear for you are ever with me and you will not leave me to face my perils alone. Merton voices what many of us feel, what Moses in our scripture today feels. We have no idea where we're going. 
And we're not really even sure we know who we are, let alone who God is. And we look at these moments of our life and the panic begins to set in because how can we possibly go on in the face of so much trouble and sorrow and loss? And yes, we wonder about career choices or who our spouse might be or what school to go to, little daily things, but those aren't the questions that keep us up in prayer at night. It's the bigger questions that Merton voices that keep us awake. Am I doing the right thing? Am I on the right path? Am I following you? Where are you in the dark? Am I safe? If you've ever been lost, whether it's in a supermarket, on a highway, or just in your own house, you realize <laughs> that when you realize your predicament, you re your breathing begins to change. All of a sudden, your breaths get shorter. They get shallower, each one delivering a little less oxygen to your brain. It's panic that sets in. And your mind begins to race, and you start thinking of every terrible scenario that you can come up with. And you have to find a way to slow down your head and your heart if you have a hope of finding your way out. And one of the best ways to do this that's suggested by people is to lengthen the pause between your breaths. To breathe in and breathe out. And when we pray in the midst of our fear and confusion, what we're doing is we are lengthening the spiritual pause in our life in the same way. Because prayer slows us down and it tunes our hearts so we can hear what God is saying in the midst of our confusion and fear. Moses makes a request to God to see God's glory. And in return, God tells him, it's not quite possible. No one can fully see the glory of God and live. And yet, wait, I'm going to give you a glimpse. Because it's just a glimpse. That's all we need, a sliver of God's glory to help us find our courage. The bravery that we need to continue to walk forward, even when we cannot see where the road in front of us might end. And so it is in prayer that we stand in the space between the past and the future and we ask, where will we go from here, God? And God's response is often not a destination, but a companion for the journey. And where will I go becomes who will go with me. Because prayer is not a tool to be used, but it is a relationship to be nourished. And it is not a destination that we strive for. It is the journey that we are on. There is an old tale that is told by a Bahamian priest. He says, one night there was a house fire. And the father and mother and several children ran downstairs to escape. But suddenly the youngest boy in terror broke off from his mother and he ran back upstairs into the house. Suddenly he's 
face appeared in the second-story smoke-filled window, and he was crying. His father was outside, and he shouted, Jump, son, I will catch you. And the boy cried, But daddy, I can't see you. I know, his father called. I know, but I can see you. And this is the essence of prayer. We cry out to God, I can't see you. Show yourself to me. And God calls back, I know, but I can see you. Trust me. Jump. Keep going. I am here and you are not alone. In my time as a hospital chaplain, I met plenty of people who taught me all about prayer. But there was one young man in particular, and he was very sick. He had had cancer before, was in recovery, and it had come back. And it was brutal. And he was tired. And it became clear that perhaps this is not a battle that he was going to win. I came into his room and we sat there and he told me just how tired he was, that he was ready to be done. But he told me he was scared because he believed in Jesus, but, but how could he know what was really waiting on the other side? And so I asked him as he sat there if he would like to pray. And he said yes. And it was a holy experience to hear this young man voice his doubts and his fears before God. And for a while we sat there in silence until suddenly he opened his eyes and he looked at me. Did you hear that, he asked me. I said, I heard nothing. You didn't hear that voice. And I said, no. What did it say? He said, it said rest. I have you. You're not alone. That's the way it is with prayer to the outside world. God can seem silent. But to the one who asks to catch a glimpse of God's glory The answer is profound, even if it wasn't what was hoped for. That young man died that night in the arms of his family. But when I spoke to his mother the next day, she said he wasn't afraid. The fear was gone. He knew that God was with him on his journey and that he was not alone. That is the beauty of prayer. Where will we go from here, we ask. I will be with you, he answers. And it's all we really need. Amen.